Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today, I'm talking to Kevin McCardle. Now, he was very instrumental in my founder life. He acquired my SaaS business. So we're going to have a conversation about acquisitions, preparing for your exit, building a bootstrap business that other people actually want to buy, and how to get to that point, how to go through the process, and what to think about during building a business. Not just when it's time to sell, but long before that. Here's my conversation with Kevin. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, I have one thing to say to you. You changed my life. I just, just wanted to tell you this. That is the nicest thing that anybody <laughs> said to me in a very long time. It, it really is. Like, uh, we built Feedback Panda, the, the SaaS business that we sold uh, to, to the company you worked at and the company you led and the company that acquired us. And it, it was the, the most life-changing thing that ever happened to me. I think after meeting Danielle, my co-founder, yeah. and you know, the person that I spent my life with. Good to clarify uh, that. If, if there was another person that had a massive impact on the trajectory of my life, let's just say that, it would be you. So a big thank you from me for this. And uh, it's, it's really nice that you found the time to talk to me today. You have a lot to share about private equity and acquiring businesses, building and operating SaaS businesses. And I'm excited to hear what you're currently working on and what the future has in store. So thanks for being on the show. And it's, it's really nice to talk to you, Kevin. Well, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Arvid, and a pleasure to be on the, on the podcast and talking publicly, I think, for the maybe for the first time. Um, and it's very nice of you to say that, but you know, I, I played a role in the success that you and Danielle had, but I was lucky to be the one to acquire Feedback Panda. And if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else that, that, um, you know, gave you the exit that you were looking for. But, um, I'm just so excited for you and Danielle and all the success you've had. Oh, thanks so much. Well, you wrote the nicest email and we had the most wonderful conversations with you. So it was, it was really easy to pick you. Let, let's just say that, like you had such a such a nice, friendly, and uncomplicated way of interacting with us that made all of this, it made it very easy to trust you and the team. I think that's, that's yeah. one of the things that you did so well in this whole, you know, pre-due diligence, but already kind of due diligence phase, right? When you're, you're selling a business and you're acquiring a business, both parties kind of poke at each other to see if it's it's legit, because there are a lot of people who are not legit in the field, yeah. unfortunately. So you allowing us into, you know, your the, the business and all the people that worked for you and having chats with them. That's where I met Tyler, Tyler Tringas, who I have the, yeah. another podcast with, right? He was of the course. first person. Arvin and Tyler catch up. I'm a it's, fan. You know that. Oh, thank you so much. You're it's like, oh, greatest fan. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy. Well, first off, thanks for listening to that show because that's just that's good to know that anybody's listening. But yeah. really, like Tyler was the first person we called in our kind of seller side due diligence that we did with with your with you, right? Because we needed yeah. to to make sure well, it, uh, the people that sold to SureSwift were they okay or you know like did they run into any issues? And we had such a cool chat with him, and it was. He was so energetic and so talked so kindly about the business and particularly about you that it came very easy to chat with you and then go through the process of, of getting acquired. So that was, yeah. that was really cool. I have a huge smile on my face as viewers can see because it just brings back such great memories of I remember specifically sending that email to Danielle and I've told this story publicly because it's it, it makes me smile. And her response was just a very kind and polite no, thank you. Not interested. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, that's fine. I have a new friend on the internet and that's, that's a, that's a good thing for the day. And then in the background, I find out later you, you, you or she told me 
called Tyler, I think spoke to another person who had sold us a business. And then, and then she came back, like emailed back, I think a couple of weeks later, it was like, actually, Kevin, we're considering it. Let's have a <laughs> chat. And so, um, yeah, that that whole process, it was easy on our side too, because, you know, you two built such a great business. You're such a great team. You had your, you know, things in order and, you know, we're ready, we're ready to sell and had done the right things to prepare. And so, uh, yeah, it was win-win all the way around. Yeah, the whole process was fun for me. Like everything in between, like even me recording this eight-hour video for my, the, the software yeah. engineer that was supposed to take over my work, just going through the code base. Like no, no sane person does this. But in that moment, it felt like a just a joyful activity, knowing how how well it would be received. Right? Like uh, the whole process was just kind of a give and take, obviously, because we needed to spend a lot of energy both on running the business and on preparing everything for the acquisition. But it, it never felt forced. It never felt like uh, the pressure, right? That, that was that was never on, and I think that is one of the things that I admire the most about you in this process: how you were guiding it without like pushing it. That 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 there's such a sensitive way of dealing with people who are already like I was mid burnout at that point, right? I was yeah. super stressed, and people don't want to lose their baby; they want to lose the business and all that. So you handled that with such care. I, you know, I'm a fan, but I just want to do it publicly. Just admit to I'm a, I'm a big Kevin McCardle fan. So, <laughs> but, well, likewise, this is just a you know Arvid Kevin fan club meeting. I guess um, let's in just, public for the, let, let's but, just compliment each other for another hour. Why not? Yeah, well, we're already losing listeners, so why? <laughs> not just continue but um you know it's funny like some of the things you said like you know uh it because selling a business is a stressful process i've been on the other side of that and um to the the fact that you said it was fun and i'm sure there was some stress in the background too but like that and you know the 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 compliment you paid me earlier it's sort, sort of funny and and um funny or weird to me in a way is like it's just kind of how I act and who I am because, you know, I'm a human being and I know, you know, we just do business with other human beings and I don't like dealing with a-holes. So why, yeah, but like, mm -hmm. it's shocking how much people say the way I do things is different and the experience is different and the experience, you know, but it, it, it just, it just blows my mind that other people don't have the same approach of just be, be a human being. Don't think that you're smarter than everybody else in the world and don't, don't be a jerk. Don't put pressure on people because people don't mostly don't respond better in pressure situations. They usually perform best when they're comfortable and happy. And, you know, I, I like how you phrase it of like guiding without pushing, I think is what mm. you said, but I may, uh, I may steal that. <laughs> Please do. Uh, f feel free to, to steal whatever you like. You, you gave me so much already. But honestly, just <laughs> stop. I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> I, I, this reminds me of something. It uh, reminds me of, um, I think, like Paul Graham wrote this book, like Hackers and Painters. And in, in that, he has uh, an essay on how schools, the system that we are kind of socialized in, really pretty much reflect prisons in terms of the dynamics, the social dynamics that happen within them. And I'm getting somewhere with this, right? The idea is that you are put into this kind of confined system that you're not allowed to leave, which is like the premise of premises of the school. You have these weird internal social dynamics. You have like the nerds and the jocks and, and you have like gangs in, in prisons that kind of are equivalents of that. Like you're part of one of those groups, but not both. And you and the, the people that are the, the biggest stars in prison like the strongest and most violent, like most fear-inducing people turn out once they're released 
to, to have no standing in society whatsoever. And it's pretty similar in schools too, right? Where the bullies then don't find jobs because they're way too aggressive and they, they don't value actual human relationships. And that reminds me of many people who have been conditioned in a system like this, that you have to kind of elbow your way through society, and then they end up at a at a spot. I think that the Peter principle applies here, where people get mm-hmm. kind of promoted to the the point where they just are kind of at the limit of their capacity, right? And the I think Peter principle says something else about it. I'm just trying to keep it friendly and, and loose here. But the the idea is that people who have this kind of behavior, they get to a certain point, but not further. Yeah, and they I hit think their ceiling. Yeah. They hit a ceiling because people at some point they don't they don't take it anymore. Like they, either they are also pretty aggressive, which you know kind of creates more conflict, or they are at the point where they are enlightened enough to understand that you get way further with kindness and with being passionate about something and opening up to people than closing off and trying to grab, 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 and this is mine, 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 and you you better stay down. Right? That yeah. kind of behavior just doesn't fly in most. In most groups of people, particularly not, I guess, the the founder community where people really need each other because mm-hmm. it's, it's such a yeah strong community. That's interesting. I, people really need each other. And at the same time, people have independence. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. think people, people um, need each other by choice do you know, versus like a corporate environment where you have to sort of play the games to, to advance in your career. If you're the controller of your own destiny, you're a founder. You don't, you don't need to, to build community with other people in your situation. It's beneficial to do so. Um, yeah, the, 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 that I haven't read that essay. I'll, I'll maybe go back and look at it, but, um, I, 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 I think and I hope society's evolving a little bit because I see, and it's, you know, as we're recording, it's the time of year where kids are graduating and moving from, you know, I've got a couple moving from one school to the next and, I see the way kids interact with each other today and it's certainly not perfect, but I think it's a, it's less clicky than when perhaps we were in school and Paul Graham, you know, I, it's an interesting comparison schools to prisons. Cause like you just can't leave. Um, and there's a, there's a person in charge of making sure you do what you're supposed to do. But, um, I think the educational system is certainly, it's certainly still has its flaws, but I think it's evolving in a lot of good ways in terms of like, um, more belonging, you know, kids treating each other, you know, as like, we're all one big group versus I'm a jock and I can only be defined by that. But it's so situational, right? Like, and the Peter principle, I, you know, there's one human being that I can remember who is the, the epitome of the Peter principle, just being promoted past his competence level. (laughs) Um, and I always picture that person when I hear the Peter principle, um, and there's also people we know that like just bully people through their whole lives and are incredibly you know, like successful by what, you know, like a business or economic way by doing that. And unfortunately, people look at them and say, well, that's that's the way that you succeed in business. So that's, that's the thing, like the, the the media attention on those people, either attention that they created for themselves because they are so sociopathic enough to allow for this, right? They, they don't hold back or because they stand out so much and news agencies or, you know, the tech crunches of the world, they take a look at them and they, they just think it's, it's a clickbait generating. Like it, it will have a headline that works. That, that is really unfortunate. I'm, I'm glad that you say this about the evolution of the educational system. And I, I have this feeling that I, I guess the digital transparency, the fact that we are interconnected and everything that happens happens everywhere immediately 
right? When you when you hear something happen, when something happens, you hear about it within 30 seconds if it's important. That didn't used to be the case in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, where you would have the full day before the kids could report back to the parents, and if at all, right? You, you would have a delay in, in, in stuff, and that changes the immediacy of how behavior is rewarded or punished in, in these situations. So I guess that helps, and but shining a light just on the system and make it fairer, make it more equitable and that stuff. And I have a feeling that's it's it's almost the same in the entrepreneurial community, like particularly with people sharing their stories, like building in public or just being more approachable and being more you know, allowing more insight into their businesses. That creates more equitable, more fair, and more accessible businesses in the in a space that 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 I'm in. And let's just call it the indie hacker SaaS founder community, as specific as it gets. When I see people build in public, and I'm just realizing this now, so you're part of the thought emergence here. Like yeah. the the fact that they have feedback cycles with their whole community often surfaces. Um, accessibility issues was so much earlier than when the founder would have thought of them, right? So yeah, you're, you're, I, I've had that with my own content. Like people told me your blog is great, but I have dyslexia. I can't read this. Mm. Like, what do I do? So I had the option of either starting a podcast, which I ended up doing, or having at least a little snippet of a WordPress plugin that automatically generates like an audio version of the, the, the article that I would write. And that, that happened like three or four blog posts into my actual blog existing because people liked my stuff from the beginning. I was already sharing everything I did. So they quickly could give me the feedback on this is not accessible. This is kind of excluding people who have this issue. And but you're I, saying you may not have come to that conclusion would it take certainly not as quickly or ever, right? No, if I, you, yeah. I would have had more readers. Like That's the thing. The default is people can read and, and write and hear and see, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of the societal default. But obviously, not everybody is included in this group. But the group is big enough to, to kind of allow for these people to fall off the site and still turn it into something big, right? Which is why accessibility is so important. Yeah, and that... that um that story, like I can read, I can see, I read very slowly. So I'm more of a podcast fan, but like, (laughs) um, just knowing that you had that, had that feedback, took the step to say, well, let me, let me try to make this more accessible for other people draws the, the, the norm, the like quote unquote normal groups of society to you more. Cause like, well, at least Arvid gives a shit about like somebody who has trouble reading. Um, I, I don't look at, so I, it's interesting we're talking about this and it's no surprise because like I love how your content is like founded in or like uh, grounded maybe is a better term in just kindness. You know, I like you talk about building an audience in Twitter and like conventional wisdom is like uh, hot takes that are extreme is what gets <laughs> you clicks and followers yep. and engagement and what and that, like that's kind of true. And I think that's part of what is uh, like makes normal media and social media hard to consume a lot of times because it's so everybody feels like they have to be polarizing and then you step into the world and you're like well what if i'm just a nice person and if i like give people compliments and i just try not to be a jerk all the time and um i think part of what we get along is like that's my attitude too like but but it's not from a I don't know how to say this. It's not from like a business strategy perspective. It's not like, well, I think more founders will be attracted to me if I act like a human being and don't have the sharp elbows. Um, It's just like, I don't have the time or patience to live any other way. Like this is just kind of who I am. And so 
long ago, I figured out like just be who I am and the right people will hopefully be attracted to that. That's and it, yeah. almost more importantly, the wrong people will be repelled by that. That's right. Um, and there are several examples of where I can think of somebody either not wanting to work with me or for me or choosing to sell to somebody else and, you know, on and on down the list or like choosing not to invest in my company. And it's like, good. Well, okay. Check process is working. Cause we had somebody self-select out of my orbit. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's so great. That is, that is one of the things that I love about having like a public persona. You allow people to self-select out. That yeah. is, and, and it is not conventional wisdom to get rid of people from your potential audience, right? Because everybody wants numbers, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. But having the wrong people in your audience is going to cause more damage than them actually self-selecting out of it. And that is true for anybody, right? Audiences, customers, partners, collaborators, all of this. Like if you if you have a group of the right people, no matter how small it is, your impact is going to outsize the impact you have with a mixed bag of everybody who may or may not be vibing with you. Let's talk about that business. Let's talk about what you're currently building because you I, I was i was just gonna throw in another compliment like the reason that i can be this on twitter that i can just be kind and, and friendly and empowering and motivating is because i've worked with and found people in the higher echelons of the entrepreneurial world like yourself who are like this like i've seen in you and the people that you work with and the people that i got to meet through you that it's possible to do this at a super high level and be effective and successful and friendly and kind and all these things at the same time so it is a, like motivation by example that allows me to do this and now be this for other people myself so well, yeah and that's that's a cool thing is like you i think you are now motive you know not to um i mean i don't, I don't I know how big your audience is arvid because i'm not the type of person who clicks a profile well how many followers do you have? Um, so it's like, I don't know how many followers most people have. I'm sure your audience is gigantic. And I, it's exciting to think about you being that example to other people, because there are still so few examples. And like my platform of choice is Twitter. Um, it, there's still so few examples of just like kindness and positivity on that platform. And people, you know, and people seeing all the success you've had in, in building an audience and building a huge, you know, podcast following and all that by, and, but the, the other kind of sort of like I was saying, like, you would suck at it if you tried to do it the other way, yeah. you know, cause you're just not, you're just not that person, right? Yes. If you were trying to like, you know, troll people and, you know, <laughs> insult people all the time, like it would be inauthentic. Oh, you yeah. wouldn't be good at it because that's just <laughs> not who you are. It would be so weird. It would be hard. Like, honestly, I dare I, I, you to do that for a day and do it like <laughs> next April 1st. Oh, that'd be fun. And people would pick it out right away, but like just t spend the day just being a jerk online oh, and, and see what happens. See that the thing is with, with anything online, like there's barely any context, right? Twitter doesn't have context because it's text exclusively. It's just a line of text. It doesn't have your smile. It doesn't have like the subtle kind of tone of your voice. When you when you like just insult somebody, but there's a smile under it, right? It's just <laughs> right. that doesn't come through if you just say "fuck you, everybody" on Twitter. Like it, <laughs> it would be funny, but you know, like somebody would probably, be, and that's the thing. That's why my thinking is in those moments. Somebody probably had just had a really shitty experience an hour ago, 
and now they're on Twitter scrolling through and they're trying to find something positive and they see me telling them to fuck off. I don't want to be that, right? But and it reinforces their, yeah. their bad experience. You yeah, never know where somebody else is. And that's yeah. and, and that is for good or for bad, right? You never know 100%. like how high they're flying or how low they're currently crouched on the floor, just like rolled up in the bundle because they're going through something. So the, the default for me is trying to shift it towards the positive, but it would be very interesting to just be like evil Arvid, like Star Trek style, just grow like a goatee, like Spock, <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, be like from the evil universe for a day or two. Man, that, but you're right. I think there are too few people. Let me just m- make the world's best segue at this point. It kind of sounds like it's just like a little uh, group of maybe chamber musicians, like two or three, but wouldn't life be better if they were in a much bigger band? What are you currently oh, working on? <laughs> I see what you did there. Well done. I didn't know where you're going with that, but um, yeah. So, so I think uh, you're asking about the new company. Um, yeah, Big Band Software is the new project. Uh, we just launched in March of 2023. Uh, well, company was founded December 1st of 22, but launched um, early 23. And yeah, the the vision is to build a holding company of great software businesses. Um, so we're buying software companies, one to 10 million in revenue uh, with no obligation to ever sell them, which is strange in our world. Usually transactions, you know, the, the bigger, the uh, weirdly, the bigger the transaction sometimes is shorter the cycle because investors want to put money into a business, grow it, and then get that money out as quickly as possible. We just have a different approach and partly because we've got, you know, like-minded, I have two partners in this business, Chris Reedy and Jason Heath, both of whom I've known for five plus years. Chris, I've worked with before um, and we had a similar vision. We've got uh, some great investors who have given us the luxury of lots of capital to go spend over the next few years. And they've got the same vision, like Let's build a holding company. If we own great software businesses, why would we want to sell those? You know, let it compound over years and dare I say decades. Um, and so, yeah, on the on the surface, we are buying small software, com- smallish software companies. Um, but beyond that, we're do- trying to do things quite differently than almost anybody that's out there. So that's that's what's novel to me, like the difference between like private equity, as I know it, and a holding company. Can you kind of tell me what, what exactly you think is different between them? Yeah, so pri- a typical private equity firm or fund would raise a bunch of money, tell investors, okay, we're going we're gonna to buy some stuff, we're going to try to grow it, and then we're going to sell everything in order to give you all of your money back. And that timeline would typically be somewhere between seven and 10 years. So Arvid, please give me your money. And in seven to 10 years, I'm going to give you all of your money back, hopefully times three. Um, And that's the model. So that means I get, let's say it's a 10-year fund, which would be sort of at the long end of the the range. But that's, so I'm being generous. So now I'm saying, okay, I've got, you know, three or four years to spend all of the money that I've raised. And then I've got two or three years to try to grow those companies. And then I've got three or four years at the end to sell all of those companies. Um, And to me, you know, there's a couple of challenges that I've always seen with that. And the first is like, if you've got a great asset and it's growing, why would you sell it? Like that's the dream for everybody. And I'll I'll come back to, there are a lot of reasons. I I love to say 
there are a hundred reasons why people sell a business and only one of them is money, right? So uh, you've talked publicly about how you and Danielle, the business was great, but it was putting pressure on your marriage because all of the stress of the business. And that's, that's a great reason to sell a business that has nothing to do with money, like almost nothing to do with money, right? Um, so I, I want to be clear, like I, there's, there's no problem with selling a great business, but being forced to sell that great business just because of the timing of your fund, I always had a problem with. Uh, because what if you raised a fund, let's say 10 years ago, and you're now obligated to sell all of those businesses during today's economy, you know, would you choose to sell that business now? Or are you doing so just because you told your investors you were going to give the, their money back? Um, so I don't like the idea of being forced to sell great assets if it's not the right time. Um, and I don't like the idea of there's such short term thinking. You know, I mentioned like we're, we want this thing to compound over decades, plural. Um, if you buy a business and you have two or three years to run it and then you have to start thinking about selling, you make your the tendency is to make very short term decisions. So are we going to invest in research and development or do we hire another three salespeople? Well, that trade off and that, that is sort of a silly, simple example, but like, if I'm going to sell this business in three years, well, I, the default will go hire the salespeople. Who cares about working down technical debt or, you know, adding some feature, or what, you know, improving a customer experience, uh, you know, like just growth at all costs, trim expenses. This is what this is. These are the, uh, the knocks against private equity is that it's, it's short-term thinking. It's very transactional um, for, for founders, which is a huge part of your audience. I know, you know, a lot of times you're, company gets absorbed by a bigger version of whatever you're doing and the brand disappears and your team might get fired and your customers may or may not have a great experience. You know, that's another reason why I never really liked the typical private equity model. And so, um, you know, mid last year, I literally took out a blank sheet of paper and just started scribbling like, okay, if I want to, if I have the opportunity to build my dream company, what would it look like? Who would be involved? What would our strategy be? You know, what are the you know beginning, middle, end points? What does my job look and feel like? Who do I get to work with and talk to on a day-to-day basis? And I mean, like, knock on wood, it 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 came together in many of the ways that I sort of dreamed about back when I was scribbling on that page. And that's what big band software is now today. That's awesome. I, I like the the image of a big band, like the the idea of a a group of people each playing their own instrument, virtuously, right, but in harmony with each other, and just making fun music, like big band music. Like I, I come from Dresden in, in Germany. That's my birth town. That's where I'm from, and we have a Dixieland festival there. Out of all places in Germany, really? there's yeah a yearly Dixieland festival, and so I grew up going to this as a kid. Like we would be there, and there would be these wagons full of bands big bands too like sometimes 20 people just you know with a with trumpets and trombones and and all that kind of stuff so i have a very vivid like visual representation of just how enjoyable the ensemble of a of a big band can be so seeing you picking that name and idea for something that i also see as something very joyful something very positive right a, a business that doesn't just take 
grow and then throw away businesses, but actually embraces them. You should have called this like, it, it's kind of em- embracing. It's not a holding company. You don't hold them. You embrace them. It's an embracing company. Oh, I company. like that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, that's how Could it feels steal to one too. Hold on. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me go trademark embracing yeah. company. Um, yeah. No, that's cool. Because then what, what I love part of, and you know, like naming a business sort of evolves, right. And both of my partners are musicians and, we had lots of sort of we we kept circling around musical names, but I love big band for all the reasons used. And we we our tagline on the website is business and harmony. Um, and for for all a lot of the reasons you said, like individuals who are excellent at what they do, but coming together to to create something that's bigger than any one of them could do. Um, and the other thing that I love is like when when like just about everybody loves music, right? And it doesn't matter what kind or type, but so. Almost everybody loves. I, can, I have never met a person who doesn't like music. Yeah. Um, and you, you jumping to the Dixieland Festival in Dresden reminds me of like right after we launched, somebody else that I don't know well, but we're sort of mutual followers on Twitter. He's like, I love it. It reminds me of the second row. And I knew what he was talking about. He he grew up in New Orleans, and the the or no, the, not the second row, the second line. And it's like in in New Orleans, there's always like. Uh, you know, marching bands, not in the traditional like school band sense, but like New Orleans is full of music. I don't know how to explain this to yeah. people. Hopefully they know what I'm, but like um, parties, there's always a band marching through the street and it's sort of organized sort of a group. And then the, the second line is just anybody who else is in the crowd has a, has an instrument or an umbrella. They just want to dance. Like, and so the, the, uh, the name Big Band just made him think of that thing, which you could tell was a joyful thing for him, just like the Dixie Festival is a joyful thing for you. And um, also just like, um, you know, another mutual friend I was just e- emailing with, Moritz Dowsinger, with, you know, he, when when we were talking about this, he's just like, oh, it feels human. And like, well, yep. thank you. Yes. And like, of course, why do we, why do we not, why do most people not name businesses and things that like, they're all just collections of humans with a, a common vision and mission. But like we come up with these names that like are like feel more like robots than humans. So um, I'm glad it clicks with you and it seems to click with a lot of people. And at the end of the day, it's just a name and we got to go, uh, you know, do good things. But that's right. Yeah. You, you have to kind of the, the name is a goal. Right, you want to accomplish this, and it's a it's it's going to be an interesting goal to accomplish. I I want to ask you more from the perspective of a, a software business owner now, because it's kind of you're building this company that is willing to acquire businesses. Well, then, what do businesses need to look like to to become part of a big band? It's kind of what I want to know because many people, you know, they they are trying to build a software business to obviously. Be- turn it into a lifestyle, you know, have uh, revenue come in and live your life under your own control without any external forces shifting you around. But like we said, for many reasons, they might want to sell at some point. So what makes a business interesting for you in in this context of of the big band? Yeah, I I love that question. Um, Like simple things to, uh, you know, point out, we're looking for businesses that are one to 10 million in revenue profitable and growing. They don't have to be growing at 200% a year. They don't have to be hugely profitable, but that's sort of the the niche that we're looking for. That said, you know, there are a lot of different ways to create a wonderful business and it is a lot dependent on the founder and what their vision is. And so, um, 
you know, like if selling to big band is an endpoint for somebody awesome, like let's chat. Um, but I don't think people should build their business to somebody else's specifications. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I think we're doing things differently than a lot of people, but if you build a great business loosely defined, right? Like there's a lot of different ways to define a great business. And as a, as a founder, you should be building, I believe you should be building the greatness that is in your head. Like whatever, whatever the people listening to this, however they define great, go build that and somebody will want to buy it, whether it's big band or somebody else. And so, um, you know, I don't, we, we look at a lot of things that many people do, like, you know, in a SaaS world, low churn is hugely important and you don't want a lot of customer concentration and these sorts of things. But it's also like, it's also the same advice of like, if you're building a great business, what does a great business look and feel like? So let, let's go, let's go aspire for that. And, and sort of like the sale takes care of itself is one way to look at it. And I, I sort of annoy myself because I'll make two sides of the same argument immediately and contradict myself. Sure. I've also started encourage. So, so on the one, the one side of the argument is build a great business and things will take care of itself. If you have a great business loosely defined, however you define it personally, someone will want to buy it when you are ready to sell it. The second side of the, the argument, I've started telling people for a long time, I've said it's never too early to start thinking about an exit. I've now like evolved that. I think exit planning should be an annual exercise, just like strategic planning. Um, and I'm, I'm going to publish something about this. It's sort of like half written. So I'll, I'll make sure you see it early and can put it in the, the show notes, whether it comes out before or after the podcast. But, um, just like we do like annual planning or strategic planning once a year, not we, like not everybody does this, but that's sort of conventional wisdom that one should do that. I believe one should do exit planning once a year as well, even if you don't think you're going to be selling for another five years or even 10 years, because the exercise of exit planning makes you think about things that you don't think about, you know, the other 51 weeks of a year. Um, and so I think it's a very healthy exercise for founders to think about that. Like, okay, at some point when I'm ready to sell, what are people like Kevin and others like him interested in? What do they care about? Am I, am I checking off those things? And it's not about Kevin. It's about that's that, if I check off those things, it will make my business healthier. It will make it better and easier for me to run a great business to sell is also a great business to own. We know this. And so um, I'm going to, you know, continue to encourage people to make this an annual exercise because the other part of it, like you might go into this annual plan, annual exit planning exercise thinking, um, well, I don't want to sell for five years, but I'm going to do this planning because Kevin told me I should. And, you know, I'm going to just follow his advice. 12 months from now, you might be in a different position six months from now, you might be in a different position. And if you haven't thought about selling, if you haven't thought about these things of like, what's important and how do I get ready to sell my business? You're not ready to sell your business. And so all the more, that's again, one of the reasons why I believe this should be an annual exercise for founders, because you don't always get to choose when the right time to sell is. And that could be a very positive thing. Somebody approaches you and says, I want to buy your business and you need to react or respond. Yeah. Um, 
or it could be a negative thing. And unfortunately, I've had several situations where founder gets sick, founder's spouse gets sick, co-founder gets sick, uh, you know, child, God forbid, gets sick. And like all of a sudden focus needs to be on those things versus um, the business and just being ready and having at least thought about the process and, and what to do, I think is super helpful, helpful and healthy. What would somebody ask themselves like during such an exit planning session? What would be the like the most important things that you would do every single year, and and maybe track them over time? Obviously, because they change. But you know, yeah. that's I've, I may I may be getting ahead of you here. But no, what, would, no, what would be the up. what would be the most important stuff? So at the at the top of the list is if you have a co-founder, are we on the same page? Right. So like, and the same page might be. Uh, I just talked to a, a couple of guys. They happen to be guys that, um, have been best friends and then they started a business and the business is going well. And it's one of those like dream scenarios, right? Where you get to be in business with your best friend and it's, you know, good things happen. But one of them is like, well, I might want to do this for another two years. And the other one is like, I could do this forever. And they're in their thirties. So, and it's not a huge conflict, but it's, they're not quite on the same page. So let's talk about that, right? And and another same page issue is, you know, somebody, you know, if you've got two co-founders and one says, man, if I could sell this business and my share is $10 million, I, that would be amazing, life-changing amount of money. Um, I'd, I'd be totally happy with that. And the other co-founder might say, I'm not selling unless I take home $50 million. Well, that's a problem. And, and it, 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 if you're doing this on an annual basis and you do it early, it's a discussion. If you wait five years and don't uncover it yeah. or you don't address it, it becomes a problem. Drama. And then problem turns into conflict and drama. And unfortunately, co-founder drama kills a lot of companies. And so that's one of the things, just like a check-in. And it doesn't have to be only once a year. But making sure if there's co-founders or other owners, meaningful owners of a business. Uh, so like if you have an angel investor who owns 1% of your business, you are not obligated to have this conversation with that person. But just understanding, like, are we on the same page with timeline, economic output, life, like commitment to this? Like, are we working 100 hours a week every week until we die? Or do we want to have, you know, a more easygoing, like healthy, sustainable lifestyle. And, you know, those are the co-founder dynamics is at the top of the list. Now, if you're solo founder, obviously that's less important. However, might be good to have that conversation with a partner or a spouse if you have one, um, because they are certainly a stakeholder in you and your commitment to the business. Um, the other things that are important in like an annual exit planning exercise that may not be addressed in like a strategic planning exercise is, you know, how much am I involved in the business as a founder and early stage, you're involved in everything. You do everything. Um, as your business grows and you start thinking about exiting, you want to be doing less and less. And I think that's one of the things that you and Danielle did very well is sort of identify how do we delegate these things to team? How do I document what I'm doing so that somebody else can pick it up and do it? Um, so that, those sorts of things are part of a annual exit planning exercise. Um, and I, I love how you jump to like tracking it over time. I was just talking to a woman who um, we were having this discussion. So we're off, off the record. I won't share who, but um, 
you know, she's a, of the mindset where she's like, I'm, I could do this forever. I'm like, awesome. Do it forever if you're happy. And if you start tracking this, like today, your answer is I want to do this forever. And next year at this time, your answer might be do it forever. And in two years, three years time, do it. But then year four, if you say, you know, maybe I can see the end of the runway and I should start thinking about this. And then year five, it's like, I'm getting a little tired. If you, if you do this just one point in time, and let's say it's year four, and the answer of your annual exit planning exercise is, I can kind of see the end of the runway and I want to start thinking about this. You don't have that. It, it's not a trend. It's just a, this is how I feel right now. And so that's a, you're a smart guy and you jumped right on it. I think having the, you know, you can go back and like trend over time. How am I feeling about this? And that doesn't mean if your trend starts to dip towards or go up towards like, maybe it's time to think about selling. That doesn't obligate you to think about selling seriously, but it's, it's a good data point and a good exercise to have with oneself or with one's, you know, co-founders to, you know, it, it, I think it's really important to set aside the time to have that thought and discussion separate from like a s annual planning. I, I love this. And you know what I love most about this is that almost every single point you just mentioned in your business exit planning strategy has almost nothing to do with the technical parts of the business, like the, the operational part of the business at all. No, it's all 100%. founder. It's all person. It's all human. Right? Which is why it's different. And that's yeah. the, the other point I'm making in, in like, Annual planning, people, you know, if you're super on the ball, you might be doing it in October, November in preparation for the next year. If you're less on the ball and, you know, you might be doing it January, February, like what do we hope happens this year, even though we're a little bit into it? Obviously, it depends on seasonality and cyclicality of your business. It could be nothing, but turning the page of a calendar is typically when people think about strategic planning for the business. I believe exit planning should be opposite. I'm going to recommend to people like late spring, summer, like most business cycles tend to slow down a little bit in the summertime. And because it's a very different conversation with oneself or with one's co-founder, it should, it should not be the same week of the year. Don't do your business planning, your exit planning, because yeah, you're, you're right. It, it's all about sort of like, how are you feeling up here and in here, your head and your heart to say like, do I still want to do this? You know, and like being honest with yourself, yeah. like, do I still want to do this is different part. than how do I grow the business and how's the tech stack doing? Where's the product roadmap and how are my customers doing? Like you get, I'm telling people set that all aside. This is a selfish, how do I feel? How do I feel with my co-founder? How's my spouse feeling about this business? And is now the time to start thinking more seriously about selling? Yeah, that's really cool. I, I really appreciate that. I think I've written about this a couple of years ago. It was a consequence of me like dealing with my our own like the sale itself and the process of building the business. I also had or we developed, Danielle and I developed this kind of check-in with each other every couple months. And I think we, we called this the, the founder business fit. Like if the founder is yeah. still good for the business, because the business can operate if you build it in a sellable way. And that's what you just said. A good business is a sellable business. A sellable business is a good business, right? So if you can remove yourself from that business, then it itself could be run by somebody else. And that doesn't have to be you, right? It could be run by somebody. Right? It is mm -hmm. not kind of bound to the founder. And checking in with yourself 
for this founder business fit, you're right. The honesty part is probably the, the hardest in there, like in, among all the different things you can talk about, right? You can talk about like your vision and how much you would like a certain thing, but we all have these narratives in our mind about how life should be, right? Where we are supposed to end up because our parents told us that that is the dream that we are supposed to live, or we ourselves have found that in our communities and now we want to live somebody else's dream. So being honest enough to say, well, I need less than this, or I need more than this to feel secure. That's the hardest part. And I think for that, I love that you make this about the time of year too. I, I just had a thought because like when you do these sessions, when you do these kind of, I, I don't know if it's called a summit or something, but you, you take yourself away, you have your little you know, conversation, you lock yourself in the room with somebody or, or just by yourself for a day or two and you just talk about this one specific topic. Time of year and location. How much do you think that actually impacts what comes out of these conversations? Comparing like being at the beach, having that conversation versus like being somewhere in the mountains in the winter in a little cozy little warm cabin. You think that actually impacts what comes out of these things? I'm curious. Uh, what you think. I, I, I do think there's something to time and place and space. Uh, and it's all individual, right? Like, um, well, I, so like on the beach, I would say don't do it during your family vacation. That is not like this. This is a business meeting or conversation, even if you're meeting with yourself. Um, and so don't take family vacation time to do this because I don't think that's the right frame of mind to do it. Um, and like for me, uh, a, a small cabin in northern Minnesota where I, li I, I live in the Twin Cities, but going a little bit away into the into the wilderness would be a great setting for this other people it might have to be on a beach other people it might be like in a cozy cabin with snow outside like it's all individual but i do think there is something to not being in your normal workplace it just lets sort of like well your normal workplace there's always like distractions and things that you think you should be doing um but i think there is there's a reason that people do like and it's sort of gotten a little cheesy, but the like off sites is sort of like, oh, we're going to leave the office and we're going to somewhere else and think about different things. Um, it can be a little bit contrived, but I do think there is something like getting out of your normal setting to help you think a little bit differently than your, your day to day. And then beyond that, it's all, it's all personal. Like I jumped to spring and summer because I'm, I'm a sort of anal, annual planning happens in November so that January one, we know the plan and we're executing the plan. And to me, I want it as, as far removed from that as possible. Um, but you know, other people might have different, different ideas and, and they, I don't really care. And it, it, you know, it, it won't hurt me or bother me at all if nobody ever does this, but if somebody wants to do, it, I would just encourage like it, make it an annual exercise, make it different than your typical business business day. That's a great idea. Yeah. And, and it will be unique to every, like every person really, like when their best time is to have this conversation. It's just an interesting idea to think like if there are times or places that would like inhibit a good conversation or amplify it, right? The, the outcomes of it, that would be kind of cool. Th thanks for sharing this. Like the, I love the, the way that this is a thing, right? Like you, the, the exit planning strategy session, whatever you call it, that is a, a, a thing that can be well defined. Yeah. And that, that's why I'm trying to define the thing. And one of my friends and investors is Dan Martell, and he always will like come up with a bumper sticker phrase and then add TM to the end. So I'm trademarking annual exit planning owned by Kevin McArdle. 
because people ask me all the time, like, how should people think about like going about a sale and like, what is the right time? And like, um, you know, I, 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 I may even, you know, inspired by you, like create a course about this, not, not, not about like making money or like gating the, the, the specifics, but, um, just create some structure and help yeah. people think. Cause you know, like you and Danielle, I've been fortunate to buy businesses from 45 people over a period of time, actually closer to 50. If I think back further in my career, um, my partners have, you know, between all of us, we've probably acquired 60 businesses. We've also sold businesses. And so like, we have a little bit of expertise in this. Um, and so I want people to be successful, especially bootstrapped entrepreneurs who have you know, fought their way to create a great business. And so um, making it, like you said, a thing and not just, well, let me, you know, read a blog or listen to a podcast and like, that's, that's going to be what I go try to do. I, I think if it can be a structured thing that becomes like a, like strategic planning, if you want to go find a strategic planning template, they're easy to find. Annual exit planning is not as easy to find, um, easy yeah. to find. Yet, um, but it, but it will. Yeah, you know, I I think making it a thing can be helpful to people, and so that's why I'm putting the time in to sort of think and write, and you know, eventually we'll publish and maybe even turn it into a course or a workshop type of thing. It's it's really about the coining the term, right? And and that makes it more accessible because people refer to it and they know what it is. And I think that. That is that's what Dan is great at, and that is what you could definitely use. use Dan for. is great about yeah, like coin the term, create a framework, give people something that they can just pull off the shelf and you know take action. Uh, and the 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 other thing, and we can move on from this point, but making it an annual exercise means that it's something that you should just be doing anyway. Because I think there's especially and um, this is one of those weird nuances of like the you know, bootstrap indie hacker community, there's sort of this, um, I think, unfair expectation that like people will, and, and can, this may have come out of like, there are some very famous bootstrapped, um, you know, indie people based in Chicago who have said publicly, we will never sell a business. <laughs> uh, I think you know who I'm talking mm -hmm. about, um, which I think is just unhealthy to use the word never or always in most cases, but, um, that, that, you know, they were the leaders of this community for a long time. Um, and still people look up to them. And you, so there's unfair expectation. Like you're going to do this forever, which that's not how business works. Like every business transacts it, you know, it could be when somebody dies, but eventually businesses transact, you know, and in the software world that we live in, People don't hand businesses down to their children like yes. you might a manufacturing plant or, you know, some of these older, you know, like a farm. Like that's that's not how our business works. And so it is normal and healthy to think about the exit. And um, because of this weird dynamic that's in the, you know, bootstrap indie thing, like a lot of times people come up to me in real life if I see them at a conference and they'll open a conversation with, you know, Kevin... I don't want to sell my business right now, but uh -huh. how would it work? Or what does it happens to my team? What happens to my customers? What would I do? What, how would I be involved? Like, so they have these questions, which are normal, healthy questions, but they feel like they have to preface it with, I don't want to sell my business. And I don't know if that's just like, Hey, don't get too excited, Kevin. We're just having a conversation or, but do, do you see what, do you know what I mean? Oh, Am I 100%. making this up? Like there's this nope. expectation of we're going to do this forever 
when that's not that's not normal like we don't have to think like that i you're not only not making this up like a couple weeks ago at the point of when this is actually being published i will have released an article that is titled like uh short-lived businesses versus forever businesses because it's exactly this topic like people think that what they need to build immediately when they start building a business is their forever business and it's a bizarre idea because if you look at home ownership right people have a starter home and then they have a slightly bigger home and then they move into forever home but forever home is never the starter home right like and even, it's not actually a forever home rarely are exactly. forever homes forever homes it's forever like homes don't even work because period of time exactly like yeah. all, if homes are something that even if it's many years or decades it's still temporary why do we could not consider businesses to have the the same lifespan particularly in a digital internet enabled society where a, a long living product is like five years maybe Right, it's, it's bizarre. I, I looked at researching that article. I looked into the world's oldest company, and apparently that's a, a Japanese um, construction business that has been around since like 570 AD. Like they've wow. been around for 1500 years, and they still construct buildings today as they were doing it back then. You can do this in the construction industry, but you cannot no. do this in the SaaS entrepreneurship in industry. Like no. even, even next week is probably going to be a different technology du jour that you have to use to, you know, build the coolest and latest in tech. So us, we, we have much different timeframes now that also should impact how we think about businesses, right? And my, my whole thought in this was, well, why don't we actually consider our businesses to be something temporary as well? Like, at least when we start out. Right? And that's the whole Rob Walling stair-stepping approach too. Like you build some things here, you see how they work, if they work, cool. And if not, well, you try something else and then you step into, well, now I have some kind of time freedom. I can now spend more energy on maybe solving bigger problems. And then you exit that and then you get to your SaaS and you run this for however long you want forever whatever that means i mean the whole topic of like lifetime deals and stuff don't even want to touch that right no. <laughs> lifetime of what but if your business has, has a lifetime of like five years that is still a successful business particularly if you get to sell it to somebody who turns it into something else or winds it down but transfers customers over to an equally interesting business there are many ways and it's kind of like the the cycle of energy in nature like we have fungi for a reason right like we they they're not just delicious when you cook them they they empower a whole system of of cycling through material and i feel businesses should be considered something similar which means to to get a, to an end in this this monologue of many things that it is perfectly fine not to have to build a forever business but to actually build a temporary business that wants that you want to get from a to b through that's the idea and for me speaker panda was kind of that right now i get to do this well, and even if you were building like the Japanese construction company, I'm interested to read your blog and learn more about that. But like, even if the business continues on, you may not be yeah. running it and operating yeah. it. Certainly, right. even if it's the same family, that Japanese company has has changed hands hundreds of times at this point. Uh, and so why wouldn't we assume that whatever we are building as business owners, of course, it's going to change hands. Right. What, whether, whether it's, you know, like the timing that I think right now today or, you know, the timing that might change. And here, here's another like thing that I'm going to release a secret into the wild. It's okay to change your mind on oh, what yeah. you think is going to happen. Right. Yeah, like you might right. start and have a successful company that you say to yourself, I, I want to do this for the next 20 years. 
And in 12 months, your mind might change like we've already talked about. And so just understanding that businesses change hands. And if that's an, that's certainly an important point in that business and in one's life, right? Because if there's a monetary you know, reward for that, like, why wouldn't you be thinking about that annually? You don't want to think about it every day or every week and obsess over it because then it becomes a distraction. But that's why I want to make it a thing. This is we annual exit planning is a thing that smart business owners do. And there is a structure and a framework and Kevin will publish his thoughts on what it should look like or could look like. And other people smarter than me will say, cool idea. I'm going to make it better. And hopefully it becomes a thing just like strategic planning is a thing. I am very much looking forward to you publishing this for you to, to uh, change the world of entrepreneurship. But honestly, I think <laughs> honestly, that is a change. It's, it's not, you're not disrupting it. But I think, and, and that's great because it doesn't need more disruption, but you're, you're giving it the tool or you're giving people the tools that they need to do something that they already want to do in a better way. So I, I think I, I love the idea that you're turning this into a very, you should write about this maybe more extensively. Like as I'm writing my third book, where I want to do the same thing, but with building in public, like I want to put this out there as a, as a concept, as a framework, not just for, for indie founders, but for anybody who wants to go from A to B, right? You can, can always uh, kind of empower your community to help you and help them in the same way. So why not turn this phrase into something that people can actually use? And as I'm doing this, I'm gonna suggest it to you. Do more writing. I think the the world needs needs the thoughts in, as a, as a book. Well, I think um, I need to do more writing. I've seen how successful you have been with it. I think you're also. I don't consider myself a great writer, but I also know like when I write something down, it helps me to think about it more clearly. So the, I have some clarity about this concept because I've been writing about it and haven't published. But um, yeah, as soon as we're done recording, I will, I will go tweet annual exit planning is now a thing yes. and, and then build on <laughs> it from there. I love that. Well, since you already mentioned that, like where do people go to find out uh, where you're sharing this kind of information? Where do you want people to find and follow you? Yeah, two great places. If you go to bigbandsoftware.com, we have a newsletter that I'm really proud of that um, we share our ideas. We also share links to, you know, smart people that we know in the world and what they're publishing. Uh, talk about our team, talk about like hiring needs, um, those sorts of things. So uh, yeah, just bigbandsoftware.com and you'll get a you know pop up for the newsletter. Um, and me on Twitter is the best way to find me, Kevin underscore McArdle, and McArdle has one A, well, sorry, one C. People always get that confused. Um, and there's more than one Kevin McArdle on Twitter, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I'm easy to find, and I love engaging with people on that platform uh, as long as they're you know kind and good spirited like you. So um, yeah, and I love helping entrepreneurs. So oh, yeah. uh, whether somebody might someday sell to big band or not is immaterial. I just know that entrepreneurship can be very hard and it can be very lonely. And if I can make it even, you know, 1% easier or less lonely for somebody who's out there working hard, then I'm happy to do that. You've certainly helped me. And I know many people who you have helped in the past, and I know you are going to help hundreds, if not thousands or millions of people, depending on how well your writing gets received by the community. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but honestly, uh, I'm super happy that you also just appeared on my show here today and shared what you're doing, how you're doing it, and the kind way in which you're doing it. So, hey, man, thanks so much for, for being on. That was an awesome conversation. I'm so glad. 
It has truly been my pleasure, Arvid. I'm so <laughs> grateful that you had me on. It's so fun to talk to you as usual. Thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will truly help the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.